come to chapter 12. And um, chapter 12 has been a blessing, or is a blessing. I hope it'll be a blessing today. Because we're going to get behind the scenes. We're actually going to get a chance to look at that which goes on behind the scenes. Remember when we began the book of Revelation, I said one of the things we find in the book of Revelation is that it, it informs us of the way things really are. Sometimes we look on this world and we see things happening and we, we see war and terrorism and we see starvation and we see injustice. And sometimes that we kind of think that's the way things really are. But Revelation kind of peels away the veil and allows us to begin to see things as they really are. And I think one of the, the books of the Bible that will help us maybe understand some of what we'll see today is the book of Job. The book of Job is interesting for a number of reasons. One of the reasons the book of Job is interesting is y'all know the book of Job, right? So Job went through horrific instances, right? He, you know, sickness and you know, boils and family dying. I mean, he had a pretty rough go over there for a while. The interesting thing about the book of Job is Job's not in on the deal. You notice that? I mean, we the readers, the audience, we know exactly what's going on. Because we're introduced in the first and second chapter, we're told exactly what's going on. But there's this, this deal going on in heaven. And, and Satan basically says to, to God, well, Job only follows you because you pay him well. Stop paying him well and he's going to curse you to your face. You and I are all aware of what's going on. Job's never told that. So Job's going through this horrific issue and this terror, these terrible circumstances and I'm sure, certain at some point in time he's wondering, why is this happening to me? Now you and I know exactly why it's happening to him. Job has no idea. In fact, for all we know, Job was never told. We get to the end of the book and Job praises God and Job is restored but he's never told what went on. Well, when we come to the book of Revelation, it's not so much like that. We're told exactly what's going on. We are given, if you will, backstage passes. Right? So we get to see all of the inner workings. And chapter 12 is a wonderful um, description of the inner workings of what's going on on the earth. And we need to keep in mind that the book of Revelation was written to seven churches. And it was written because they were going, they were going through it. They were going through persecution. They were going through trouble. They were going through trial. They were being tempted with compromise. And I'm certain at some point in time, somebody asked the question, why did Jesus have to die for his sake? Why are our brothers and sisters being imprisoned for the sake of the gospel? How come we can't get jobs? How come we can either buy or sell unless we worship some pagan deity? Why are we suffering? Why are our children ostracized? Why is all of this happening? We are believers in Christ. Why are these things happening? Why am I facing jail? Why am I facing difficulty? Chapter 12 is meant to encourage seven churches and to give them a reason not only why this is happening, but to 
strengthen them and to encourage them that everything they deal with chapter for you and me as well. Let me give you just a little bit of background because it's important that we all be up to pace as to where we're at in the book of Revelation. And then I'm going to um, introduce to you, maybe to some of you, something very new in the book of Revelation. Maybe new to you. It's not new. In fact, actually it's very old. Maybe to some of you it may be new. What we've done is, just so by way of review, um, I've, I've introduced you to the original audience. It's important that we remember who the original audience is. The original audience is Southern Church, is Major Minor. And it was written, I believe, to encourage and strengthen them. We have seen two judgment cycles so far. We've seen the judgment cycle of the seals. Remember the Lamb of God opens the seven seals on the scroll. And that brought about various judgments. And then we saw the second judgment cycle. And that was the uh, judgment cycle of the trumpets. And some have asked a good question. Because when we looked at last week's Message chapter 11. You'll recall that it is my position that trumpet seven is the second coming of Christ. Why do I say that? Well, because it's very clear. It's kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and the wicked are judged and the righteous are rewarded. That sounds like the second coming to me. But then again, so somebody, yeah, I think Eric asked this on Wednesday night, and I think it's a big question because I know it's working in the back of your minds. Well, if that's the second coming of Christ, then why do we have chapter 12? Did it just end? It's a very good question. I would answer that with another question. Firstly, I'd answer it, well, if that's... Given that, we probably could have just ended in chapter 8-1 because uh, the seven seals also bring about the return of Christ and seven seal where there's silence in heaven is also a depiction of the return of Christ and you can listen to those tapes and, and figure that out so we could have ended in chapter 8 verse 2 so what in the world is going on why do we have chapter 12 because it's important for you to understand how um, my understanding of the book of Revelation First of all, it is not necessarily chronological. Alright? So things don't simply happen in a chronological format. It is cyclical. Some Bible students, who are very well regarded, would actually see seven cycles. I'm not quite sure. I'm there yet see seven cycles, but they all include all, all seven cycles. Each cycle repeats the same thing. That is the interadvental period, the period between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And we see seven 
times this redemptive history replay over and over again. It's like this. How many of you, does anybody watch football ever? Or any sports? Right, like two. Oh my goodness. Okay, well your homework is when football season starts. Okay, here's a better one. I know you're all watching the Tour de France, right? Oh wait, I'm the only one. You're real close. I'm really close. Okay, watch a sporting event. But football's a great one. Because what they're going to do is they do a really close play, they're going to review it. And while they're talking about reviewing it, they're going to show it from a bunch of different camera angles. And they're going to say, did he catch the ball? Were his feet in bounds? Did he have possession? All of these questions. And they're going to say, oh, let's look at it from this particular camera angle. Well, from that angle, it doesn't, we're not too certain. Maybe he had possession, maybe he didn't. But they show it from another camera angle, he absolutely had possession. It's the exact same play. No difference. We're just looking at the exact same thing from a different perspective, and so we get a whole different viewpoint of it. We shouldn't be surprised to see this in the Bible. After all, how many Gospels do we have? Are they the same story? They're the exact same story, told from four different perspectives. This is why sometimes we have an emphasis in one area, but not so much in another area, because why that particular camera angle or that particular viewpoint is seeing it from a, in, a, in, a, in a way that maybe omits something that another writer offers. Well, the book of Revelation is cyclical. And there, so so far what we see is we saw a series of seven judgments that in the seals that culminate with the return of Christ. Then we saw seven trumpets. And guess what? It culminated in the return of Christ. And in chapters 12, 1 through 15, 4, we're going to see another cycle. Guess how it's going to culminate in the return of Christ. We're going to see basically seven sections in this block that culminate in the judgment of the wicked and the victory of the saints over the beast. So, as I said, for some of you this may be somewhat new. It's not a new teaching at all. It's been around for many centuries. And... Um, but what we see is each time we get a different view, we're going to see, we're going to see this period of Christ and his, his faithfulness to his people from a different perspective. The reason we need Revelation chapter 12 is because, first of all, we go back to the original audience. They would have been encouraged knowing that their trials are not in vain and that they are victors because of Jesus Christ. This church, these churches also needed to know that although Satan is a principal source of persecution, he has been defeated and saints now share in that victory. We need the book of Revelation. We need chapter 12 because we also need to be encouraged to know that our trials are not in vain and that you as believers and followers of Christ are victors because Jesus is overcome. And you need to know that although Satan is a principal source of persecution, he has been defanged, defeated by Jesus Christ, and you now share in the victory of Christ. You need to know that. We're going to unpack that now as we go along. So let's read Revelation chapter 12, 
and then um, pick up and pour through this uh, very, very fascinating um, chapter. Chapter 12, verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars, and she was with child, and she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne and then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days and there was war in heaven Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon the dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world and he is thrown down to the earth and his angels thrown down with him and then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down he who accuses them before our God day and night and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death for this reason rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them woe to the earth and to the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath knowing that he has only a short time and when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the two wings, but, two, but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with her with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus well this begins this chapter begins with a, a sign appears so right off the bat we know this is a sign and John loves this word sign if you read his gospel it's all over the place he loves it by the way he has seven signs in his gospel all pointing to the glory of Christ but this is not a, uh, an exhibition of the book of John this is Next position of the book of Revelation, but John loves this word. And it points to something else. A sign isn't, isn't the thing. A sign points to something beyond it. It points to a reality. It's not pointing to something that's not true or something made up. It's pointing to a reality. The sign itself is not the reality. The sign is a fact. A sign. It points to something else. So I see the sign of this woman. And it's this, it's this woman who's clothed in the sun. And she has the moon beneath her feet and 12 stars. I think, first of all, real briefly, this is set in contrast to the harbor that we're going to see later. But we'll talk about that later. So, of course, then the big question is, who is this woman? If she's a sign, then what is the reality that she's pointing to? Well... Boy, there's all kinds of ideas out there. I won't discuss them all. Let me just throw a few out there. Some suggest that this is a point to Eve. 
somehow. Um, if you're Catholic, this is very much pointing to Mary, um, not be a very Catholic view. Um, I, I struggle with that because later on, um, the woman who has other children kind of messes up Catholic doctrine of the professional virginity of Mary. But anyways, there's that. Um, probably one of the more common ideas is that it is exclusively Old Testament Israel. I think there is some merit in that. And while I disagree with it, I think there is some really good merit to that. And some people think it's the New Testament church. I don't think that at all. Or exclusively the New Testament church. Well, here's what we're going to do. Here's why a lot of people would, would hold that it is Old Testament Israel because they're using scripture to interpret scripture. And, and I've mentioned to you that's important that we do, that we use scripture to interpret scripture. And certainly in Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 through 10, we remember that Joseph had this dream of 12 stars and how his father and mother, and 12 stars represented what? The 12 tribes of Israel. So we would come, and I think we would make a really, really good case that it has to do with Old Testament believers, Old Testament, uh, Old Testament covenant community. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And if that's all we had, of the, the only description we had in the Bible of this woman, then I would say it would be exclusively Old Testament Israel. But we have other descriptions of this woman, and so we have to put all the descriptions together and then come to a, uh, and then interpret all of those. And one of the descriptions we have is over in verse 19 that um, the dragon goes after her own children. Those who follow Christ. Well, not us in the that's Christians. So we have Old Testament believers and we have New Testament believers. We shouldn't be too surprised at this because Paul... So here's my understanding of this. When I put that together, I believe that it's the community of faith that produced the Messiah and the community of faith that follows and obeys him. So it is the Old Testament community of faith who brought about the Messiah and now it is the New Testament community of faith that follows him wherever he goes. We shouldn't be too surprised at that. Paul talks about Mother Israel, if you will, of whom believers are part of. Galatians 4.26 and following, Galatians 3.29, Romans 9.7 and following, and Hebrews 12.22. All speak of Jerusalem or Israel as the mother who gave birth to us. Us believers. And so I think when we put everything together, that's where I'm going. Alright? That's my understanding. I think that it's faithful to the scriptures. And so one of the things we see about this woman is that she's pregnant. And that there's this, and she's in birth, um, she's, I want to get the word right because there's a, there's a key phrase here. Um, She was with child and she cried out being in labor. So it tells me that there's this anticipation of this child being born as we're going to, I think, without any controversy, come to the conclusion of the child that she gave birth to is Christ, the Messiah. There would be some who would disagree with that, but she is in uh, labor. And so as the Old Testament community anticipates the birth of Christ, but it also says that she's crying out in pain. The interesting word with the other interesting thing with this word pain is it's never used in reference to childbirth. Anywhere, not only in the Bible, but in any extra any extra biblical Greek text. Anywhere. It always has to do with persecution. 
always trampling torment. And so I think that this is a woman, that this Old Testament community is anticipating the birth of Christ and that they are being tormented or persecuted for being faithful to the commandments of God and anticipating the Messiah. Well, we'll move along because then the next sign that we see is this great dragon. Now, fortunately, the great dragon is really easy to understand because the Bible explicitly tells us who this great dragon is. The great red dragon is. Grotesque, but he tells us what we're told, and it's Satan. All right, that's serpent of old. Well, fortunately, that was real easy. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that one. It's about as plain as day. Perhaps as we go through the Book of Revelation, it may be the one thing we all agree on. Well, he has a bunch of heads and horns and crowns, and I'm going to discuss those a little bit more fully as we go through the Book of Revelation, but. I'm not too certain that we should be too dogmatic about what these are, but I do think that that we're dealing with an image of the the fullness of power, his hideous nature, perhaps even multiple manifestations um, throughout history of this dragon um, that we see. But we'll we'll go into detail with the dragon uh, uh, a little bit a little bit later on. And so this dragon, um, so we see two signs. One is a woman. I've understood that to be the covenant community of God who gives birth to the Messiah and the covenant community of God who follows and obeys him. We also see this great red dragon who is Satan. And we see that the tail of Satan sweeps away a third of the stars and of course um, many, many ideas have been put forth as to what is the sweeping away of a third of the stars of heaven and, um, for instance, someone said that this was the, uh, the, the devil deceiving one third of the angels prior to Genesis 3, sometime before, sometime in that primordial state when Satan fell. This was him taking a third of the angels. I don't think that's true here. I don't think that's a really good way to go. Perhaps, but I, 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 I don't think that's. That's going to be too, too um, accurate. I, I think the best way to understand this is, again, to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And I think that this is a reference to Daniel chapter 8, verse 10, where it describes this end-time enemy who persecutes the forces of God. And so I think Daniel 8, 10 um, gives us a little bit of a clue. And, and I'll let you know this right now also. This is not something that I'm going to be real, real adamant on. I'm willing to have my mind changed. Um, I'm willing to, uh, to alter this particular view. But I think Daniel 8, 10 and following gives us a better understanding. Also, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 gives us a better understanding of this, where it talks of believers as uh, being stars in, in the heavens and how the stars are persecuted by this uh, antichrist figure. But here's where we really need to go, I think. I think the best place for us to go is to notice what is this dragon doing? Well, the dragon is seeking to kill the child that is born of a woman. I mean, some of you guys are, are hunters, some of you guys, I mean, this is like, you know, basically a wolf. I mean, 
There is no more helpless state than being in labor. Utterly and completely defenseless. And perhaps, you know, we have this picture of a wolf sitting there waiting for a caribou to give birth, knowing that mama caribou can't fight and baby caribou will be way too weak to fight as well. This is an easy meal. All I gotta do is wait. And that's kind of the picture we have here, this dragon waiting for the woman to give birth to this male child. And um, to devour the child. Y'all remember Genesis chapter 3.15, don't you? You should be thinking Genesis 3.15 right here. Right? And I will put enmity between you and her, between your seed and her seed, and he will bruise you on the heel. I'm sorry, you will bruise him on the heel, and he will bruise you on the head. And we talked through the book of Genesis about the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And we see it over and over and over again throughout Scripture, the battle, the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. It is not a new battle. It's been going on since Cain and Abel. It was going on with Ishmael and Isaac. It was going on with Esau and Jacob. It was going on with Edom and Israel. It was going on with Saul and David. And it continued right on up to the day when Jesus was born and who sought to kill a male child when Jesus was born? Herod. But that wasn't the only attack. Satan tempted Jesus. Satan tried to kill Jesus. There were numerous attempts on Jesus' life, but it was not yet his time. And so we see this the seed of the the seed of the serpent seeking to kill the seed of the woman. And this looks like bad news on this male child. What does it have? How can you survive this great red dragon? The text then tells us. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, reference Psalm chapter 2, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Basically, in that single sentence, you collapse the whole ministry of Christ into a, into a single phrase. He was caught up to God. In other words, I think this is a, a reference to the resurrection and ascension of Christ. He was given birth, and he rose from the dead, and ascended and was seated at the right hand of the Father. And then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared for her. And so here we have the entire life and ministry um, collapsed into a very brief st- statement, and being defeated, being defeated in his desire to destroy the male child, the dragon now goes after the woman. In defeat, the dragon now turns his rage on the woman who is the community, uh, the covenant community subsequent to the resurrection. It is the people of God. Unable to destroy Christ, 
Satan desires to destroy the people of Christ. Anybody experience something like that? This is the backstage pass. We're getting to look behind the scene. But here's what we see. That God protects his people. She flees into the wilderness. Very Exodus language, isn't it? Uh, Exodus is all over this chapter. Exodus language, where she flees into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God so that she would be nursed 1,260 days. And you probably have understood that I understand the 1,260 days, time, times, and half a time, 42 months, or whatever, as the period of time between Christ's um, resurrection and Christ's second coming. Don't believe it is a literal 1,260 days. One of the reasons is everything so far up to now has been figurative, so I'm not quite sure if everything has been figurative and symbolic why this number would be literal. And since I take the book of Revelation as symbolic, because it says to take it symbolically in chapter 1, verse 1, and because it's apocalyptic literature, which is symbolic by nature, we take things symbolically. And so, Israel, just as Israel was protected by God in the wilderness and were fed manna, so the woman, the kind of community of the people of God, who are now chased by the dragon, are protected by God and nourished by Him sometimes again. Well, Let me summarize this and then we'll move along. Remember, these are signs. Signs point to a reality. The signs are not the reality. The signs point to something else. And the something else is this. That Jesus has defeated the serpent who then wages a war against the covenant of the community that God protects his people. That's the reality. The signs point to that. That God, that Christ, has defeated the serpent. God protects his people until he comes again. That's the reality behind the sign. Jesus is the victor over the serpent, the dragon, Satan. And God protects you and me until he comes again. Well, we're going to move along here to, uh, to look at this uh, really interesting passage. Second section in this chapter and I've entitled it The Dragon's Defeat and I think it's just really it's kind of a complimentary scene that explains why the woman had to flee into the wilderness and the reason why Satan is so mad so there's this war in heaven with Michael and his angels waging war against the dragon and basically um, Michael and the angels had to win and Satan is cast down to the earth. Of course, then the question is, when did this happen? And there are three primary understandings of when this happened. Some would say this happened way back in the primordial um, ages before the creation, whenever Satan fell, that that's when this happened. Some would put this out into the last three and a half years, or at least the last seven years of history, um, for some great tribulation that will come. Um, I don't think the context supports either one of those. The context is this has to do with the resurrection of Christ. 
That's what's going on here. The, the, the male child was caught up to Christ, or was caught up to God. And so because of the incarnation, because of the life, because of the death, because of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, this defeat occurs. Michael, who is portrayed in Daniel as the protector of God's people, are given the task to expel Satan at the time of Jesus' first coming. We see in Luke chapter 12, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, I was, Jesus saying, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In John, uh-oh, just lost my place. John chapter 12, verse 31, we see Jesus again saying this. Now the judgment has come upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In John chapter 16, 11, we read Jesus again and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I think, I'm pretty confident that this is dealing with the time where Satan was just the ruler of this world had been cast down because Jesus is talking about his resurrection, his victory and Satan because of the incarnation and the victory of Christ in his death and resurrection, Satan has now been cast down. I want you to understand what we're talking about here. We are not talking about where Satan dwells. This is not a geographical matter. This is not an issue of address. We're not concerned with where does Satan live. What space does he occupy? What geographical region is he dwelling? That, I don't think, is our primary issue. This issue is not about geography. It is about standing. And some of you lawyers may have an idea of what it means to have standing. That is the right to bring a charge. We're not talking about where some spiritual being actually dwells or lives. See, this is dealing with standing to accuse, that Satan's standing to accuse in the court of God is now broken. Here's where we get this idea. Remember, I already referenced Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. And how does the chapter, how does the book begin? Satan is standing in the presence of God, accusing Job of just being in it for the money. Satan says, well, Jesus just did it because he treated him well. Treated him well, because he was safe. Remember Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah standing there, the priest is standing there, and he's ministering before the Lord, and he has filthy garments, and he says, the accuser came and pointed out how filthy he was. He has standing. Prior to the cross, Satan accused the people of God. But now, because of the cross, he can no longer bring those accusations. This is why we see, in again, in John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. He can no longer bring an accusing accusation against you. He can no longer bring a charge against God's elect. And this is why we see Paul writing in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the accuser has been cast out. This is why we see in Romans 8 who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who can do it? Can Satan? No, he has no standing. 
It's God who's justified you. God's the highest court in the land. He declared you innocent. He declared you not guilty. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, Christ was raised. Who is where? At the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Folks, we as the church need to know that Christ is in heaven, interceding for us, and that there is no Jesus. That's the message. Can you imagine what hope this brings to the people of the southern churches going, oh my goodness, the accusers can cast out. What about you? What sin have you committed? I want you to know right now, the accuser has been cast out. He has no standing and he has no worship because I don't want to bring the heaven above Jesus in the and Jesus is sitting in the right hand of the Father, and He is making intercession on your behalf right now, because the ruler of this world has been cast out. There's no condemnation. Now, Satan's going to come along and say, You call yourself a Christian. You think you're a believer? Well, look at the pride in your heart. Look at the envy. Look at the greed that you have. You lustful, manipulative, hateful, indignant, ungrateful individual. You call you are a worthless specimen of a Christian. Jesus Christ is the right hand of the Father with pierced hands and pierced feet and a pierced brow and he says, Father, forgive that. Amen. You are forgiven. The accuser of the brethren has been cast down. He has no standing. This isn't where Satan dwells. I don't know where he dwells. Don't care. What I know is he has no position in the court of heaven any longer because Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And notice how it's responded to. There's a celebration. And what do they say? Now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. How do you overcome this? How do you overcome the liar lying to you? By the blood of Christ. I know I'm a guilty, vile sinner. You got that right. The love of Christ washes away every sin that I've committed, even the one I just did. Christ's blood is sufficient. And the testimony of the gospel that declares that declares me guiltless before God. I'll take my case to God. I may have to be disciplined by God, but I'll take it to God. I'll stand before Him. Why? I'm the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Folks, I want you to know right now, this is not some futuristic thing. This is right now, living today. If you feel like Christ is Satan is condemning you for something, and you are a child of God, you can say, Christ intercedes for me. Right now, Christ is intercedes on your behalf. In heaven. Well, this text moves on. And I think it kind of continues on, picks up with Verse 6 left off. Verses 7 through 12 are just kind of a little diversion to show us what's going on behind the scenes. That's a good backstage pass, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's good to know what's going on behind the scenes. Ah, here's what else happens then. Well, when the dragon saw that, the, uh, that he was thrown down to the earth, what does he do? He persecutes the woman who gave birth to the male child. Having failed to defeat the Messiah, the dragon now tries to destroy the people of Christ. But here's what happens. But God gives two wings of a great eagle to the woman so that she could flee into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for times, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. God protects his people. He gives them the wings of the eagle. Again, Exodus language. 
Exodus chapter 19, 4, where, where God tells the people of Israel, You know how I protected you, and I gave you wings like eagles and marched you into the wilderness. This is Exodus language. I gave you wings like eagles. Uh, there are people who say that this is some sort of airlift of Jewish people to some place out in the wilderness. Where do you get that? Uh, I don't mean to mock, but I'm like, well, we need to use scripture to interpret scripture. How Lindsay says this is where America is in the book of Revelation. See the eagle? That's America. I'm going to go to Exodus 19 4. I gave you wings of eagles and brought you out of the house of bondage into the wilderness where I protected you and kept you. I think that makes this way more persuasive. We don't have to make stuff up. We just look at the Bible. And the revelation is I'm going to tell you this every week. So sorry if you're sick of it. Revelation is filled with Old Testament references. Every line has a reference to the Old Testament. Do you want to understand Revelation? You have to understand the Old Testament. You have to. And here we see it. So just as God did for the Old Testament community by delivering them out of the house of bondage and then protecting them in the wilderness until what? They came to the land of promise. So God's doing to his New Testament church. We have brought out the house of bondage. We are now being protected and nourished in the wilderness until what? We are brought into uh, the land of promise in New Jerusalem. This is the book of Revelation. It just tells the story over and over again. Some people say seven times. Why? Because seven is complete. Seven is full. He keeps telling us the same story over and over and over again. Not simply to remind us, but to show how certain these things are. But, Satan is enraged, and so he pours forth water out of his mouth to flood the woman. Now, again, I don't take this literally. I don't really know anybody who does. Some people may think the flood is literal, but I don't want to think it's flooding from a, a dragon's mouth. But again, it's symbolic. Certainly there's some Exodus language here. You can look at Exodus 1.22 and Ezekiel chapter 29.3. But what happens when something comes out of somebody's mouth in the book of Revelation? What does happen? I remember Jesus had a sword coming out of his mouth. All right? What is that speaking of? It's speaking of his power and authority. It's speaking of his word and the authority of his word. What did we see the two witnesses had? What did they do? They breathed fire out of their mouth. He's got two men breathing fire out of their mouth. They authority of God's word. What Jeremiah says that consumes people. And so this water comes out in an attempt to drown or quench the people of God. Perhaps even the fire that comes out of the mouths of the two witnesses. Or the fire that comes out of the people's as we proclaim the gospel, this is fire and the word in, in the mouths of the people of God. But he sends forth water to flood them out, to quench their witness, to drown out the faith. It is to cause the church to believe a lie. Satan has two main tools, and we're going to see them, I think, next week. Violent persecution and deceit. That's what he tries to do. He'll either try to kill you, and if he can't kill you, he'll try to deceive you. And if he can't deceive you, he'll try to kill you. Those are his two main weapons. And we're going to see that as we go through. And so, but the earth helped. 
and swallowed up this heresy, this false witness. Takes us back to the book of Exodus, doesn't it? Those who sought to usurp Moses got swallowed up in rebellion. The earth opened up its mouth and swallowed that. And so we see this water coming out of the dragon's mouth. We see that as deceit. But God protects his people and destroys it just as he destroyed those people who usurped Moses' position. The earth swallowed up the waters, which is echoing the swallowing of those who oppose Moses. Now Satan is defamed, but he is persistent. He goes and he makes war on the rest of the children, those who follow the Lamb. Now some of you heard these things, certainly say, well, you have a woman and you have the people. It's not like two different things. How can the children of the woman be the people who follow God, and if the woman is the people who follow God, how can that be? I would simply refer you back to Revelation. Where in Revelation chapter 5 we see a lion who is a lamb. Which one is he? Oh, lion, lion. There's no difference between the two. Likewise, we are told in the book of Revelation chapter 4 that there are seven lamps and seven eyes, and both of them are references to the Holy Spirit. Which one is it? Seven lamps or seven eyes? They're both the same. The lion and the lamb, both the same. The woman and her children. We should not be too surprised that they can be references to the same thing. So here's the idea. Satan is defamed, cast down, and he has no voice in heaven, but he is persistent and makes war on the people of God. He will do so through deception. So if you believe anything that is not in line with Scripture, and tell you now if you're entertaining any ideas that do not align themselves with Scripture, it's time to divorce yourself from those things. And remove yourself from any deceitful influence. And you say, well, it's not that bad, or that person is my friend, or what have you. Makes war on the women and the rest of her children who follow the Lamb. And we should not be surprised by the conflict that we face. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Behold him here, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. I don't know the influence for that beautiful, beautiful song. But I would not be too surprised if it comes out of Revelation 12. So we'll conclude with this. The devil's rage, the devil's may rage, but he cannot defeat the people of God. 
We overcome. How do we overcome? Not by weapons of our own warfare. You don't pick up a sword and defeat the dragon. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities. So I heard Jaime talking today about the weapons of our warfare, our spiritual. What is the weapon of our warfare? The blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And we do not love our lives so as to shrink from death. Folks, our guilt, if you are a follower of Christ, your guilt, your sin has been removed. It has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. The gospel has set us free from the law, sin, and death. It has freed you from the accusations of the accuser. And you need fear nothing. Not even death. Because the moment you breathe your last breath, Christ the Lord will welcome you into His presence. That's the book, that's the message of the book of Revelation. And just as Christ is victorious, risen and ascended and seated at the right hand of the, of the Father, so will be His people who follow Him. Are you a follower of Christ? Why would anybody reject such great news? Why would anybody say, I don't want anything to do with that? Why would anybody turn around and say, that just doesn't, that just doesn't strike a chord with me. I want you to know today, if you are never followed Christ, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Turn your face to Christ. Bow the knee and I guarantee you, the accuser of the brethren will be silenced in Christ by the blood of His by His blood and by the testimony that is the truth of the gospel. You will be freed from any sin and any accusation and you will be protected by God. And even if you are put to death by the beast, you will be immediately transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son you win, you always win you will never lose, it's impossible for you to lose because it's impossible for Christ to lose and you now are united with Christ and so we affirm with Martin Luther For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. And that one little word is Jesus Christ. Let's stand and let's pray.